Welcome to the Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast, a podcast created to inform patients, families, and caregivers about important health transformation topics. Since the 2001 Crossing the Quality Chasm Report by the Institute of Medicine, our nation's healthcare system has recognized its need to improve quality of care by way of six important aims that make healthcare safe, efficient, effective, patient-centered, timely, and equitable. But we cannot hope to cross this chasm and achieve these aims until we make fundamental changes to the whole healthcare system. All levels of this work require dramatic improvements from the patient's experience. So this podcast is dedicated to you, the voices most underutilized resource in healthcare, our patients' voices. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy the Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Natasha Washington, president and founder of ATW Health Solutions and sponsor for the Patient Partner Innovation Community. Follow the PPIC community online at atwhealth.com. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to our Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast. I'm your host tonight, Desiree Collins-Bradley, and I am really excited to continue our two serious conversation. For those of you that have been tuning in, you know we kind of talked about two serious, which is our next phase of the first serious project, and we talked with Dr. Agarwal last week. Well, now we're going to talk to Dr. Joseph West. Welcome. Hello, thank you. Thank you for having me. Awesome, awesome. Well, you know, Dr. West, I've gotten to know you as we've been kind of working on this project together, but our listeners may not know you. So why don't you kind of take a moment to kind of introduce yourself to them? My name is Joseph West. I'm an epidemiologist and statistician uh, by training. Um, And so been real busy with the COVID situation, of course. Um, But my background is that is is that in uh, in the past few years, I've worked with hospitals and health systems to to uh, really invest in uh, community health and health in, and health interventions to improve uh, healthy outcomes. I've worked on a number of stroke related projects, particularly with taking both, uh, you know, states and hospital campuses in some areas, uh, smoke free campuses. Um, and I've done a, quite a bit of work around the health and well being of African American men as it relates to mental health, stroke, uh, smoke and cessation and well-being. So I'm very excited right now to, to be talking with you all about heart disease and, and stroke and the challenges that we have ahead. Oh, awesome, awesome. Well, I tell you what, you're uh, you're like the renaissance man of all things public health. So we are super, del- I mean, it really kind of, you should see my arms, I have chills. Because anytime we talk about particularly communities that look like me, black and brown people, it kind of piques my interest because we know, and you said COVID, you know, we can't get away without talking about COVID. COVID has kind of put everything in the forefront, right? And particularly Black Lives Matter movement. So now we're kind of looking at, okay, what is going on in our communities and what can we do to kind of flip this thing better direction. So thank you for the work that you've been doing. And I know, you know, this is going to be an amazing project that all of us are working on too serious. So how about you kind of set the framework? So how does, could you talk a little bit about the public health aspect of stroke in particular? 
I can. And I think it's important that within the context of this current COVID-19 pandemic, even though we've, you know, admittedly have been living with, you know, various aspects of coronavirus as a virus, that I think this this iteration of the virus, that's the 19 part, right? That means that it's an iteration from, you know, the, the, the 2019, is that what it's been seriously revealing is uh, how uh, unhealthy many people really are. And I mean that by this, is that initially, for example, we thought that it was a virus that really attacked respiratory. Um, uh, issues and respiratory vulnerabilities. Um, and we, we're seeing quite a bit of that in older people. But what we're also seeing in um, younger people, especially those because uh, who are under the age of 65 and who are African-American men primarily, and men in general, is that if you have a history of heart disease, hypertension, smoking history, history of diabetes, unhealthy diet, meaning low nutrition, low nutritional value. And if you are overweight and obese, what the virus is taking advantage of is actually creating a giant inflammatory response in the body that, and that then precipitates a stroke or stroke-like uh, outcome. And that caught everyone off, off guard with the data uh, because now you're not only you know, concerned about you know, serious respiratory issues, but what ended up happening, and they had to reverse kind of the, the uh, treatment protocols, you know, to put people on respirators and oxygen, et cetera, they realized that it was causing large, you know, like stroke-like like incidents. And so what we're seeing in a lot of, of, of patients, especially African-American men, um, because coronavirus in and of itself primarily will, you know, kill not only older people, but mostly men, is that with hypertension, high blood pressure, and cigarette smoking, you know, it's, it's, it's been a long time fighting people, especially in the Black community, because of the advertisement and, um, and, and the addiction, is that, you know, and now we're seeing it in young people, right? So uh, we're, we've seen stories of all of these young people who have gotten sick, and many of them are African-American and young, and it is because of smoking and vaping. And you're starting to see either pre-hypertension or pre-diabetes in these young people, right? So you're talking about young people who are eating poorly, having high sodium, they're, they're uh, uh, vaping. And you have to understand your lungs don't fully develop till you're about 25 years old. So when you're coming in as a young person with uh, you know, those kind of constricted lungs, from smoking exposure, even from when you were young um, wow. in the household, that's been incredible. And I think that that's something that, you know, is a message that we would want to get out because now if you have a stroke and the, and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid are showing this, this data, or if you're having hypertension, and we saw this, I also was one of the, the co-founders for Next Level Health there in Illinois as a Medicaid health plan, we mm -hmm. would see young men age into disability whoa right so we're seeing black and young men age into disability by the time they're 55. so now you're you're, you're 55 years old and or or even just coming out of your late 40s and you've aged into a situation where 
you know, you're an end-stage renal failure, you're pre-stroke, pre-diabetic, uh, you've had at least a minor heart attack, if not uh, caused some, some serious cardiovascular risk. So we're, you know, we're, we're, we want to urge, you know, communities to really think about this and, and take this very, very seriously, because that's exactly what this year's uh, COVID pandemic is really exposed. Mm. Wow, that that blows me away. You know, you hear it on mainstream media. I see it on social media. I see it on the news. I, you know, we're talking about it in our um, patient group. But when you put it out there with support and with the data and the facts, it's like, come on, we have got to do better in our community. So I kind of want to shift it because as you were talking and I'm hearing, you know, some themes rising and in the background, I'm hearing health equity, health equity, health equity. It's kind of like what's playing in my brain. Mm-hmm. Kind of touch on how does health equity play a role in this, you know, in the treatment of stroke, the management of stroke. I mean, I can just think about members in my own family and they may not have access. You know, they live, they're living in a food desert. They don't have access for care. So how does health equity play a role in this pandemic and as it relates to stroke as well? Yeah, I mean, we, we have to be very conscious that, uh, let me give you an example that, you know, if you go into a doctor, primary care doctor, we tell people, go see a doctor, right? Go see a doctor, get your blood pressure uh, checked and, and go have your heart listened to. And then they say, hey, you know, we, we think we have a problem here. You need to now see a cardiologist. Well, if your next appointment availability for a cardiologist because of where you live, because mm-hmm. of your insurance status, because of your race or gender, if you're a black male under the age of a certain age, and if your next appointment is 90 to 120 days out, how do you think you're going to make that appointment? Or how often do you think people will make that appointment? So, you know, that that's one. The other is the, the balance, right? So when I'm, you know, and, and when I'm, you know, have taken away some basic learnings, um, and, and I don't really mean to, you know, kind of sound old fashioned, but when we were doing a project at once in Mount Sinai Hospital related to hypertension, diabetes, smoking, one of the things that the people in North and South Lawndale found very important was mm-hmm. learning home economics, basic stuff. Like how do you take 20 bucks, 25 bucks and create a meal for a family? Yeah. So what that does is hit now hardcore issues about, well, where do I buy food? What kind of foods do I buy? How mm-hmm. do I go out to certain stores and know that I have access to fresh fruits, vegetables? How do I discern what to actually put in my basket that I can then make, you know, make something out of? So when you're talking about health equity, you're bringing together, I mean, and, and then when you're also talking about housing, right? So we have these other issues where you're living mm-hmm. in an older housing stock, you have mm-hmm. these exposures of mold, air quality, et cetera. Where else you gonna go? You got to live where you got to live based on what you could pay for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what are the legal supports that you have to help with saying, hey, Mr. Landlord, you know, you can be held liable for some of these healthcare costs because of the environment in which you're profiting. Mm-hmm. So how, you know, so what health equity is, is both systemic, mm-hmm. geographic, 
and socioeconomic. And it's oftentimes making the best decision, right, you can from a poor set of decisions that you have. Yeah, you, you know, and as it relates to our project Too Serious, I think this aligns pretty nicely because, you know, I think about, again, members in my family that had several members that have been going through strokes and diabetes, hypertension, you name it, poor diet, and just not really understanding or knowing or trusting, you know, where the information is coming from. And I think what Too Serious has done and is, is going to do is bring in those community promoters, right? Mm-hmm. So hear it from someone that looks like you, that you trust in your community, you're more receptive to say, okay, you know, maybe I can cook this in a different way. Or maybe I need to do X, Y, Z and get call 911 versus me not, oh, I'll just kind of sleep it off or I don't want to trust those doctors. You know, it's it's a nice bridge, I think, between community to address this whole public health you know, crisis. It's a crisis for me. I would say it, it is a serious crisis because I am so, and I don't know about you, Dr. West, but I am so tired of seeing people in my communities dying and they don't have to. I, I agree. And I'll tell you two, two really quick things to speak to that. One is I, I had to attend a funeral of an aunt who had a stroke, was so terrified because she had a small stroke at first. Mm-hmm. but was so terrified because she didn't want to go to the hospital because she thought she was going to die alone in the mm-hmm. COVID situation. So she's been sitting at home with this mini stroke trying to manage. Then by the time her daughter gets there, find out she's been living like this for almost two months because she didn't want to tell nobody to talk to anyone. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing this all over the place mm-hmm. is that people who are so afraid of the system, of so afraid of going in and being mistreated, of misdiagnosed, badly treated, and, and can't get any family or any support, um, and just terrified, are now showing up in the hospital in really, really bad situations. The other thing that I think we're going to learn from Too Serious is this. The payers, the states, and public health entities have to make the right kind of investment. So while I hear you saying call 911, We know from strong public health interventions that, hey, why don't we contract people in the community as transportation supporters? It's cheaper because they know who to call, Mm -hmm. right? We tried that at Next Level and it worked brilliantly. We taught people in the community how to be business people there in Illinois, how to bid for a contract to be be a transporter. You can do this. And there are rules and laws that are on the books that we have to teach community that, hey, if I just get a van, meet these certain requirements or even a car, I can be that person that can help transport people outside of it being an emergency. Because by the time it's an emergency, in most cases, Uh it's so such a bad situation that it's often pretty difficult to come back from. So what we want to do is build up the right kinds of community infrastructure, the right kinds of support, because, you know, just like you can pay these large transportation agencies a lot of money to move a few people, Uh you can pay people who are close to people very well, build up community infrastructure and business for public health prevention. Oh, I love that. And it seems, and it's 
as you're talking, it seems like such a simple fix, but there's so, I would say, so many layers, layers to it. I think we could, we could spend all night talking about it. But, you know, the other piece of this that I kind of want you to touch on is health systems. Mm-hmm. So what can health systems do for our listeners? Because the people that are tuning into our podcast, they come from all different areas. We have patients, we have physicians, mm-hmm. we have hospital system leaders. What can the health systems do to help us address this situation? And I think health systems are starting to try to really explore that and try to learn because as many of them take on different types of payment models, and that's really been a a driving force is where some of the insurance companies are placing the risk onto a health system, meaning the risk for, uh, you know, for loss or or profit as it relates to care. Uh I think what they're learning is that maybe, you know, this investment in community health workers is not a bad idea. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe this investment in, you know, these small community forms that happen twice a month or every other Saturday at a church or in a or in a a, a field house or uh, or something like that is is not a bad idea. Maybe small incentives to people to come in and have conversations. I mean, one of the things that we did and I've learned over the years of doing this work is that, for example, so many people are what we would call polypharm, meaning on multiple medications. And uh-huh. something that we've learned is that when people bring, bring in what you call a brown bag, right? so health systems need to do more brown bags. That means encouraging people to come in, bring all of their medications in, uh-huh. and have an available pharmacist to sit with them. And for the first time, for most of those people in that room, that will be the first time somebody will really explain to them what the medications they're taking are really for. Mm. And you know, because what we no, found is that medication adherence is tied to that. So what mm-hmm. I'm saying is that what health systems can do to address this issue, be innovative, think mm-hmm. forward, think about bringing the community in, trust the community to be a partner and you'll find some strong solutions. And you know, it, it's, you know, I'm all about aligning and what you said hit home to me because I just encountered a situation, I would say about a week ago, I was in Walgreens picking up medication for my daughter and there was an older gentleman, I would say he's probably in his late seventies and he had, it wasn't a brown paper bag, it was a white paper bag. <laughs> all his, he had a, just a bag full of medication. Mm-hmm. So he's in line in front of me. I mean, there's like six people behind me and people, you know, social distance, and everybody's kind of on edge. So he gets up to the counter and he has all this medication and he asked for this particular pharmacist. And the lady was like, oh, she doesn't work here anymore. Uh, they moved her to another location. And he was like, well, she helps me. Um, she helps me put all my pills. And he had the little, um, the daily pill managers. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it was just a mess of, of medication. It looked like he was getting ready to cry. Mm-hmm. So the, the young lady, again, was very abrupt. Well, you know, sir, I have many customers. You know, we don't do that here. She was doing that as a favor for you. That is not what we do. So, of course, me, I, I, I can't stand by idly and not say anything. And I said, well, ma'am, if this is something that he's been used to getting done and this is helping him manage his medications, there's five of you back there. 
can someone take 15 minutes to help him with his medication? Is that too much to ask as a customer? And she kind of smirked and rolled her eyes and she told him, well, sir, I'll help you. Can you come back in 30 minutes? And he said, no, nah, I'm just going to sit right here and I'll wait the 30 minutes. But for me, I shouldn't have to come out as mama bear to say, okay, this is something that we've been doing. Okay, okay, you may, you may not be able to do it right at this second, but why not? At first, you're telling them, no, I can't do it. And then it's like, okay, yes, I can, because, of course, now there's other customers that are starting to kind of buzz and get irate to do it. But it's like he shouldn't have been treated that way. This should be something that is, I would say, a best practice that's available to the customers. It shouldn't just be, oh, no, we don't do that, get going kind of situation. So, you know, I love those practical solutions yeah. because it's something yeah. People need to do. I mean, we're we're humans first. We're humans we, first. Yeah, and and, the, and uh, my grandma and them used to say, "You want to pull back the sheet and show your dirty laundry." Is that Walgreens actually partnered with us to do that work, and they were pushing it, and at, at one point to make it a practice amongst Walgreens pharmacies to once hmm. or twice a month go out into the community or go into hospitals and health systems and do these brown bags. Because I had worked with two really good pharmacists on the west side of Chicago, and we came up with the idea together. And uh, we and, and they saw how tremendously helpful it was to not mm -hmm. only medication adherence, but we forget that most Americans can only read at a third grade reading level. Then when you're dealing with older people, they haven't been able to read mm -hmm. a lot of this stuff. So when you give yeah. them a bag with a bunch of medication, you slap one of them. Um, 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 instructions on the front of it that is intimidating. Yeah, because I can't is. admit to you that I can't read this. Yeah, that's right. So that's we right. have to have some aspect of our humanity mm -hmm. that speaks to our overall community well-being, and that's where big systems come into play because you're making the money. Now, don't let's, yeah. let's let's not act like it's an inconvenience for this person or exactly. a couple of your staffers to come and spend a day at a hospital or health system. You can hire some people who aren't even PharmDs to go do this as a full-time job and make it available to the community. And I can guarantee you people will show up. Oh, yes, indeed, they will. So, so I think this is the kind of message and work that we want to get out because we want to encourage people to advocate for the humanity of people. Mm -hmm. and we can't forget that people aren't, you know, necessarily AR and billing and, and codes and and ICD-9s and all of this stuff, they are people who are struggling mm -hmm. with the reality of their day-to-day -day lives. And can I read? Can I interpret? What can I do? How do I make this decision to get X, Y, and Z? You have people who have medications very, very old in their box. And if you're talking about preventing stroke or even treating stroke, so now mm -hmm. you just sent them home with a plan. Mm -hmm. That's right. Now, you send them home with five folders of, of stuff, mm -hmm. and you expect them to get all right. But you haven't showed them anything or provided yeah. any support. So I'm saying, what I'm saying is that we have to get real about mm -hmm. this at some level and understand that, hey, maybe one or two of these middle managers that I got that I'm paying $200,000 a year for, that's two, three community health workers that can be out helping people with their medication. Maybe that's my best, better investment. Yeah. You know, but I think it's like you said, you, you're pulling that bandaid off, pulling the sheet off. People, you know, I think our health systems have been so comfortable 
kind of doing their own thing and, and doing what they want to do. But I think now, especially now, I'm noticing a resurgence of community partners that are like, look, we are tired of living like this. We are tired of being treated this way and really demanding change, demanding change. So I have one last question for you before I let you go. So when we talk about community partners, which could be community-based organizations or even the patient next door, what can they do to help address this situation? Uh, yeah, I think for a lot of them, it's finding the balance of, of trying to address these these core issues around diet, exercise, hypertension. You know, these preventive, uh, you know, these preventive opportunities within the context of what their mission is, right? Because resources are not finite. I mean, we got to remember that if uh-huh. you are a community partner, you have to decide where you're going to put investment. You uh-huh. now have to take what we know on all the liter- literature. And think about what's next. So now you have a number of community partners who are thinking about telehealth and telemedicine, mm-hmm. right? Man, maybe we should. You know, how much would it take to to buy a bunch of people Fitbits and see if they wear them? You know, how do yeah. you think about technology and innovation as the next thing, right? Mm-hmm. What is it going to take? Because we know that the materials are cheap, but what is it going to take to put a bunch of, you know, mm-hmm. ready health tablets in a bunch of senior centers or home centers or people who are living alone, it won't take much. I mean, yeah. you know, it doesn't yeah. take much for Verizon or T-Mobile to, to donate a little bandwidth every month to this population, you know? So, mm-hmm. it, you know, it, it does, it's, it's that kind of having a real conversation with those kind of public-private partnerships, bringing mm-hmm. those people to the table, right? And then the cost savings to the health system, the cost savings to our society, the cost savings to the insurance company then becomes something that allows us to take things to scale, becomes replicable. And then when you really want to talk about a new normal, mm-hmm. that becomes a new norm, right? Because a new normal is that we, we, we change our concept. We change our language. It's not just, you know, it's not just tweets and memes. It becomes mm-hmm. an actual practice that's tied to our dollars, that's tied to our capital plans, that's tied to our, 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 our monthly and, and, and quarterly reports, because now we're able to see where our real investment is on the change of outcomes and health outcomes of people. Oh, that's golden there. <laughs> that is golden. Well, I tell you what, I mean, this, I'm inspired to do more. I mean, I'm, I'm trying my best, but I'm inspired to do even more. And I'm just, this has been such a wonderful conversation. So I thank you so much, Dr. West, for joining our podcast tonight. Can I add a, just a little, a, one more little thing? Yeah. I want people to remind people: don't don't think it's all got to be big. My my grandmother was a was a was a uh, 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 you know she she went around the neighborhood as a, a midwife, right? A nurse midwife. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we have to remember in our communities: we got to get back to caring, and it's little stuff that we can do for one another. Um, mm-hmm. that we got to have some real conversations about. You know how to make soup and cornbread, or you know how to make soup and whatever. Check on somebody and just say hi. Because you'd be surprised at what you'd find and how far that would go. And I don't mean that to be funny, but what I mean is that at some point in our communities, we're going to have to have a real conversation about what caring and learning to care means. And that is also going to be really important because we're not going to be able to depend on systems we're going to have to really depend 
on on spirit um, and the soul of people in order to get mm-hmm. where we gotta go. Oh, well, you know what? That is that is a, a a golden parting statement. And again, start small. I, you know that's what I'm hearing. Like anyone can be a change agent. Your grandmother was a change agent, and she may not even realize it, but she was. Absolutely, so, everybody can do something. Everybody can do something. So with that, you know, it's been a wonderful conversation. I cannot wait to see, you know, what we do with Too Serious. And we'll have to come back when Too Serious is, is done and finished and kind of reflect and, and share how um, the process went and the outcomes and that whole whole thing. But we're super excited that you joined us on our Patient Partner Innovation Podcast tonight. So thank you again, Dr. West. You're welcome. You're welcome. We're going to keep our hands on the plow and keep going. Yes, that's right. And we can't get away without thanking our wonderful partner and sponsor in this work, Dr. Natasha Washington at ATW Health Solutions. And as always, guys, be engaged. Follow the PPIC community online at atwhealth.com.